ship. Uh, this uh, actually is a little weird right now because um, I'm used to actually sitting down right now. <laughs> um, I used to typically I'm I'm up here um, leading worship uh, with you guys, leading you guys and us into worship um, uh, about once a month, but. Uh, now I'm in a, a new role, so uh, at least once. <laughs> um, so it's a good thing we're talking about grace because uh, you can extend that to me. Um, and so it's, it's a good thing. But I'm really glad to be up here uh, with you guys and, um, and sharing just what God has been placing on my heart. Um, for those of you guys that don't know me, uh, my name is Chris Parrish, and I'm just a, a member of this community, Rimrock Downtown, and uh, I love this community, and I love that um, just the, the community that we have, and uh, it's, it's become like family to uh, me and my family. Uh, and I love that we can just uh, have service and go down to the park and just hang out. I love that we can serve together alongside each other, uh, like at, at the day of the park next week. Um, and so I'm just really excited to be a part of this community with you guys um, I also work for a ministry in town called Young Life. Uh, we uh, are an outreach ministry to adolescents, um, to high school kids. And so that's my uh, full-time calling uh, right now. Um, but I just, uh, and I, yeah, like I said, part of this community, I just volunteer to, to be a part. And so part of my volunteering, uh, they've wrote me into uh, coming up here and sharing God's word with you and sharing just what he has laid on my heart. So um, I know that even in preparing for worship, uh, there is a, like a weightiness of just, you know, like the, the, the weight of, of leading people into worship. Um, and preparing for this, I've even felt more of that weight of just preparing my heart and listening to God and what he wants me to share with you guys. And it's been an incredible experience. And if you guys get nothing out of it, I did. So um, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, but I am just going to um, uh, pray for us and uh, ask for God's wisdom and for his um, spirit to speak to us. God, uh, we come before you and we need you. And just like that, that song was saying, God, every moment of our day, we need you. Um, you are our sustainer, um, our life giver, and we want to just come to you with that. And uh, God, I, I, I come to you tonight that you would um, allow me to become less so that you can become more, that you can speak through me um, and use me somehow to minister to our hearts tonight. Um, so God, I just I pray for um, your word to speak, your spirit to move, and our hearts to be open to that, to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, so in, um, uh, first I, I just kind of want to recap of where we've been um, the last couple months. I uh, always want to kind of uh, envelope it in, in what we're really talking about. It's a big picture idea. And really, it's just—it's all about God's grace, and um, and that His grace is—we kind of got went through a month of talking about grace being like gravity. And um, as I started thinking about that and just uh, letting that meditate in my mind, um, grace is is really a, a lot like gravity in the sense that the more and more you study, let's just take gravity. The more and more you look at gravity, the more and more you try to understand gravity and how it works the more you realize that you're actually already experiencing it. 
the more that you realize you actually are, you're, you're physically experiencing it right then and there, and you always have, and you always will experience it. And that's the same that goes with God's grace. The more we look into it, the more we try to study it and understand it and understand the grace of God in our lives, the more we realize that, that moment, actually, we're just experiencing it right here and now. Like, literally, that just gives me goosebumps to think that we're experiencing God's grace right now. And we always have experienced his grace. And we always will. And um, that, that grace is the sustainer of us. I mean, we wake up every morning with breath in our lungs because of his grace. And uh, with life because of his grace. And so we can't get away from it. It holds us together. Without gravity, you can understand that there'd be chaos. Without grace, there'd be chaos. We wouldn't exist without it. And so grace is the sustainer of our existence and the foundation of what we, we want to, to be about and to really, um, the foundation of God's character really is his grace. And then we jumped into the law. I jumped into the law and looked at kind of <clears throat> the purpose of the law. And the law was, was given by God to his people that he chose, the Israelites, uh, the Israelite nation. And um, he gave the law to them post-Exodus, post-bringing uh, them out of slavery. And in, in our minds, we can think he gave them the law post-salvation, that he had already brought them out of the land of slavery, the land of Egypt, the, the oppression that they were, were facing, that, that they were under. He had already brought them out of that before he even gave them the law. And so the law was given under the basis that they've, they've already been saved in fact, right before God lays out the Ten Commandments that we all know well, right before he lays out the Ten Commandments, um, in Exodus 20, 1 through 2, he starts the commandments in, in verse 3, but in 1 through 2, he says this, and he lays the foundation. He says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So he, he actually reminds us, and he reminds the Israelites, that this is what he's done before he even gives the law. Before he even gives um, what he, he wants them to, to be about. Um, and so what does this say to us? What does this say to us about God? What, is this, what does this say to us about the law and, and us? Um, and basically what that's saying is that obedience, and let's just take the Israelites first, the obedience to the law, a, a choosing to come under God's word. It's, a, it's an act of choosing to come under God's word post-salvation should be based on the foundation of their deliverance, not for their deliverance. Let me say that again. Obedience or a choosing to come under God's word should be based on a foundation of their deliverance, that they've already been delivered, not a foundation for their deliverance not something to do in order to be delivered, but because they've been delivered, they can come under God's word and God's authority. And that God's authority is, is the ultimate authority in our lives. And, um, and so for us, we talked about the spirit of the law now, the spirit um, that Jesus fulfilling the law for us and the spirit coming in, and we have the spirit of the law written on our hearts now, and we same thing, we can actively choose to come under that, that word of God, 
that authority of God. We can actively choose. But that choosing, that active choosing, should only be based on the foundation of our deliverance, not for our deliverance. Us actively choosing to come under God's word should be based on the fact that he has saved us and he has set us free already, not so that he will set us free or that we can have some favor with God. Um, But because of his deliverance, we can actively choose to come under his authority. And so the purpose of the law can be seen, uh, in my mind, in in three ways. Um, The purpose of the law is to see God's kingdom in contrast to the kingdom of the world. Think about the Israelites coming out of, Exodus, out, out of Egypt um, and what they've been under. For 400 years, they've been under oppression and slavery and seen and just lived in the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of Pharaoh, right? And so that's literally all they've known, all they've seen. That's it. For generation after generation after generation, this is what they've seen. And then they come through the Exodus They've been given this law that, actively, that shows a drastic contrast between what the kingdom of the world looks like and what the kingdom of God now looks like. And everything that God lays out in the law is saying, hey, this is in contrast to what you've been experiencing for the last 400 years. And this is, that, that is death. And this is life. And so we see God's grace saying, I'm going to pull you out of death and into life. God's grace seen through the law of of contrasting his kingdom with the kingdom of the world. The law also, secondly, provides a way to commune with God, a way to actually experience his presence. The law um, is a pathway to to experience the presence of God that, that he draws us out of the world the kingdom of the world. He draws us out in order to draw us in to his presence. Think about that. He draws us out in order to draw us into his presence. And that is huge. That he, he desires to, to, to give us a way to commune with him, to be with him. And, and through the law with the Israelites, it was basically, if, if you obey the law, you will experience my presence. But if you do not obey the law, you will not experience my presence. And we see that played out time and time again. When they're obeying God's law, when they're coming under his authority and choosing to come under his authority, I mean, they're winning battles, they're conquering enemies, they are experiencing God's presence and life in that. But when they're not, you see time and time again, they're, they're losing battles. They're being conquered by their enemies. And even to the point where they get exiled. And so it's a choosing to come under God's authority that, that they can experience God's presence. And, and I want to hone in on that, but first the third thing really that, that the law does is to point us to our sin nature. Because uh, to be honest, I mean the law is perfect. The law is God's perfect standard. And we are not. And we see time and time again, I mean they failed, we fail. And without being perfect, we cannot experience God's presence fully, the way we were actually meant to experience God's presence, right? So because of our sin, it points to our sin nature saying, uh, because of this, you cannot 
experience what you were meant to experience, which is my presence. My presence. And why is this so important? Why is God's presence so important? And that is my big idea that I want to share, that God kind of laid on my heart, that I want to share with you guys. That the deepest, here's the big idea, you guys. Why this is so important is because the deepest desire of our souls is to have God's presence. The deepest desire of our souls is actually to have God's presence. Nothing else, nothing added to that, nothing besides that, but God's presence alone. Just to have God, right? Not the things of God, not the gifts he can bring, but have God himself. And I don't care if you're, you believe in God or you don't believe in God. I don't care if you're the, the uh, biggest believer or the biggest atheist in the world. There is a longing in all of us that longs for something. It is a desire that is longing to be filled, a need in our life that is longing to be filled. Everyone experiences it, every single person. And that desire, that longing is God himself, his presence. That's the desire that, that is within us all deep down in in each of our souls. And so this is the only thing that's going to satisfy the greatest need of of us as human beings. All right? And there's, there's two reasons why this is true, why this is the greatest need of us. Why this is the case? Why, why is this the deepest desire? Why is God's presence? One, one reason is because God created us that way. God created us with this desire in us. That he actually created us with this innate, hardwired desire to want to be with him. C.S. Lewis, the, the author of, of uh, Chronicles of Narnia, um, Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters, a brilliant mind of the 20th century, <clears throat> said it this way. He said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Let me read that again. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That I, the desires that I have in me uh, come from something that this world can't offer. And it comes from God, God himself. And so we were created with this desire in us to be with God. And the second reason, and this is the kicker. This is the kicker that gets me, okay? The second reason is that God actually desires to be with us. And we see this. We see this so much. We see it in his constantly pursuing us with an undeserving, a relentless pursuit. Only just to be with us. He constantly pursues us. We see it in, um, I'm I'm just going to lay out a timeline for you guys. We see it from the beginning. We see it from creation. In Genesis, in the garden. Garden, uh, Genesis 3, verse 8, I think it's up there. 
Uh, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That because of, of our sin nature, because of our fall, we, we hide ourselves from God, God's presence, the thing that actually God is pursuing in us. That he is walking in the garden looking for us to be with us. We see it in creation from the beginning. We see it in Exodus that he draws them, the Israelites out of Egypt into a new life with him, with the law that I've just kind of laid out and explained. The law is, is him wanting to be and commune with us. We see it in the tabernacle that he lays out and he creates this, tells his people to build this tabernacle so he can actually dwell with his people in the tabernacle. He wants to be with us. And then the epitome of God wanting to be with us in the form of his son, Jesus, that he wanted to be with us so much he stepped down off his throne. And it says the word God became flesh and dwelt among us. He wanted to be with us so much that he stepped off his throne to be with us. We see it even now in the church that I think a huge purpose of the church is that we can experience God's presence together in community, as a family. Together, we, we experience God's presence by, by loving each other well and, and coming together to serve others well. We experience God's presence for that. And even to the end, you guys, the ultimate end is that God is creating a new heaven and a new earth where his presence will be, uh, we will experience that to the fullest. And so we see his relentless pursuit of he just wants to be with us. And, uh, and we have this desire for God, I believe, because it begins with his desire for us. There's a verse in James that, uh, no, 1 John 4.19, I don't think it's up there, but um, it says, uh, we love because God loved us first. And I think that's the same true with, with we desire God because he desires us. We all want to be wanted. You guys, I mean, that's, that's just like in our, in our cell, in our nature to be wanted, to be desired. And that comes from God because we want to be wanted. And when we know that the God of the universe, our creator, wants us, that's huge. That's huge. And that makes us want to, to desire him more. And so we have this desire in us that's, that's created by him, that actually is, is, is spurred on because we know he desires us now. But what happens? What happens when we abandon this desire? What happens when we abandon this, this innate, this created thing that God has placed within us? Because we do. We just abandon it. Um, I came across a good parallel to this, actually, in, in an odd place in, in some pop culture. Uh, you know, working with teenagers, I go to a lot of movies. Um, so I was taking some uh, teenagers to the drive-in movie theater uh, a couple uh, weeks ago, and we ended up seeing the Pirates of the Caribbean movie, right? Um, 
it's the new uh, the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and I don't know if any of you guys have followed the whole Pirates of the Caribbean saga that's out there, but if you haven't, um, so there's the main character, Jack Sparrow, and throughout the whole saga, he has this compass with him that is oh, an odd compass. It, it actually, many people that look at it think it's broke because it just doesn't work, right? It doesn't point true north. Right? And so he carries around this compass, and he always refers to it. He, he opens it up, and he, he refers to it, and people think he's crazy, right? The whole saga, they think Jack Sparrow's crazy, right? Because he's going off this compass that's broke, right? Well, in the, the latest one, um, you see a little backstory to Jack Sparrow, and you see that he, uh, how he got this compass. And he was uh, just a shipmate on this ship, and his captain, they were under siege, and, and being destroyed, and his captain got shot or stabbed or something and was dying in his arms, right? And, and he hands Jack and kind of passes the baton, hands Jack this, this compass. And, and he says this, he says, never forsake this compass, for it will always lead you to that which your heart desires most. And that's why the compass points all weird directions, because it's not pointing true north like a normal compass. It's pointing towards that which his heart desires most. And he was instructed, never forsake this compass, for it always leads you to that which your heart desires most. And in this movie, in this latest movie, I don't want to be a spoiler or anything like that, but he, he trades this compass in for a bottle of booze. In a drunken stupor, in a stupid decision, he, he's desperate for this bottle of booze, more alcohol, and he, he trades in this compass for this bottle of booze. And what comes next is, is the entire movie, basically death and destruction and the demons of his past coming after him, and calamity surrounds him and everyone around him, and it's just destruction all over. The moment he hands over that compass, the moment he forsakes that compass, and when we abandon and forsake that which our heart desires most, we experience that. We experience sin in our life. We experience hurt and pain to, our, to ourselves and to others. When we abandon that desire, we experience death and destructive behavior. We, we experience discontentment and dissatisfaction. We're just not satisfied and not content with anything, with where we're at. We try and we try and we paw and we claw for that which we desire most, but we don't get it because we've abandoned it. We experience loneliness and depression, insignificance, anxiety and worry. You name it. What, I mean, what are the things that you experience that are just death and not, and not life-giving. And those are the things that are being experienced because we've truly abandoned the desire that we've been created for. And so why do we do this? Why do we just abandon this desire? We've been created for it. We, know, we, we see that God wants to be with us. And why do we abandon this? Why do we stray from our heart's designed, given, and created desire? I think that I've, I've narrowed it down to three problems that we suffer with. And I don't think it's exhaustive, but it's comprehensive, okay? Um, three problems that we suffer with because uh, that we tend to do this. And problem number one, we don't. In fact, some of us refuse to realize 
that our greatest need is God and God alone. Not the things of God, not the gifts that he can give us, not his benefit package, not the things that uh, the blessings that he can bestow on us, but God and God alone. We, we don't, we refuse to realize that that is our greatest need. We tend to focus on, on the gifts rather than the giver, right? We tend to ask God for this and that, and if, you, if I can just have this and if I can just have that, God, then I'll be satisfied. Well, no, because we're neglecting God himself. And really, all we need is him. And there's no one who, who knew this better than the psalmists of Scripture, of the Old Testament. And I'm just going to kind of go through a few of these psalms and unwrap them. Um, <clears throat> we start with the Psalm of David. I don't know where he was in this time. It doesn't really say right now, but uh, right in the scripture, but uh, in the psalm. But I know that David went through a lot. And he went through wilderness. He went through people coming after him and wanting to kill him and attacking him. And he says this in Psalms 27, verse 4. He says, One thing I have asked for of the Lord, that which I seek for, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I think that David could have asked for a lot of things in his life, knowing his circumstance, knowing where he was, and the one thing he asked for was just that he be in God's presence all the days of his life. What's the one thing that we ask for? What, if there's one thing you could ask for from God, what would that one thing be? Would it be just, would it be the, uh, something that you've just always wanted or, or would it just be him? See, the psalmist knew that it was just him that they needed. Just him. In Psalm 63, um, verse 1, this is an awesome, this is, this is awesome. This actually says th- that David, this is when he was in the wilderness of Judah. This is when he was being chased down by King Saul, right? And this was, he was being chased down and, and his head was being hunted by, by the, King Saul, when David knew that he had already been appointed king and should have his throne, he could have asked for a lot. He could have desired a lot of things. Like, uh, take, God, take out Saul. Put me in my right place, God. Give me the position that you have called me to, God. But no, he says this. He said, oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He just wants God as if it's the life source of him, as if it's water to his bones. Uh, Another reference to this um, is in uh, Psalm 42. Um, and this is the psalmist, not David, but another psalmist cries this out. And this is a, a one that we've, most of us have probably heard before. 
Um, and he says this, as a deer pants for the flowing streams, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When can I just be in your presence? And, um, and it's, it's just like this water. I, I'm just, I'm yearning for water, right? And it just re- it reminded me um, of uh, when, when I turned 30, uh, which was, you know, last year. Just kidding. Um, uh, when I turned 30, uh, my dad and my brother and I went for a hiking trip, a big, big hiking trip, and we decided to hike the Grand Canyon, Right? Um, and it was this epic trip, and we got down there, and we um, got all geared up and packed up, and we, we started hiking, and we were told that, um, you know, make sure you load up on water right away, because on the trek that you got kind of go down this trail and go down the Grand Canyon, all these switchbacks down the Grand Canyon, and you hit the bottom, but on that way down, there's a long stretch where there's no water source, Right? There's no water source at all, and you have to make sure you're conserving your water um, so that you don't end up in a place where you have no water and, and you're dehydrated and, um, and, and you, need, you need that water. You need that hydration. So we, we load up on our water, and we're hiking down, and we're, sur- and we're saving our water, and we're making sure we have enough water, and we make it, and we make it to the bottom where there's a stream. And we, we do our, our water purifier and filter, and we load up on water again, and we camp down there that night. And, and then, you know, going down wasn't that bad. I mean, it was hot. It was like, you know, 100 degrees in the shade, you know, and everything like that. But it wasn't that bad, you know, going down. But then the next morning, of course, uh, what goes down must come up, right? We have to get back up to where our car is. So we have to go up what we just came, came down. Um, we went up another trail, and as we were going down, this trail, and this is the reason why we went up this trail, went alongside a stream, right? And we made sure that we were close to this water source at all times because you guys, I don't know how many of you guys have, have backpacked or hiked or ran marathons or whatever like that, but when you're hiking in extreme heat like that and extreme uh, um, conditions like that, um, there's one thing you need, okay? There's one thing you want, and that is water. I don't want coffee. I don't want hot chocolate. I don't want a Coke. I want water, right? I mean, those who are, are maybe runners, um, when you run a marathon and get to the end, um, you want, you don't have someone hand you a cup of coffee or a, a Coke or anything. You want water, and that is what you need. And that is what the psalmist is saying. I need God like I need water in those times. I mean, so, so this, this Psalm in 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, we think of, of um, a deer in like a, a green meadow where there's a nice flowing stream. But change your thought a little bit. Think of a deer who's stranded and trapped in a desert, in a dry and weary land where there is no water, and he is desperate to find that. Are we desperate to find God like that? Um, continuing with the psalmist, um, <clears throat> Psalm 40, 84, um, verse 10 says this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. This guy would rather just sleep outside on the doorstep of God's house for one day than to spend a thousand somewhere else. He knew that God's presence, that's it, was all he needed. And then the last one, uh, this, this psalm is actually, uh, in my opinion, misquoted a lot and misinterpreted a lot. And it's Psalm 37, verse 4. Um, you may have heard it before. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And a lot of us think, okay, so if I delight in the Lord, then he'll give me what I'm asking for, Right? If I delight myself in the Lord, then he'll give me that new car, or he'll give me that job, or he'll give me success, or um, he'll give me this or give me that. But that's not what I think the psalmist is getting at. You see, I think this is actually a circular verse, because if we delight in the Lord, we actually already have the desire of our heart. It's simply him. We have just been given the desire of our heart because we have delighted in his presence and in him. It's in and of itself the gift. And so, looking at these psalms, I, I, I just was—I was reading them, and I, I, this question came to my mind, and I want. Uh, this question is like, what do I desire most right now? Right in this moment. And, you know, sitting in a, in a church service, it might be easy to, oh, desire God. As I'm talking about it, it might be easy to, oh, I desire God. But in your, throughout your week, every day, moment to moment, if you would stop and ask yourself that question, what do you desire most right at this moment? Is it the gifts of God, the blessings of God, the things that you want from God, or is it God himself? See, the first problem is that we just don't realize that the greatest need is just God, and that's it. And so I think that if we're honest, most of us... uh, desire the things from God, the things that God can give us more than just God himself. Um, so, so we don't realize this. We re- sometimes we refuse to realize this. And then the second problem, that's the first problem. The second problem is that we redirect our deepest desires toward lesser things. We take this deep desire that we know is in us and we just direct it and, and point it towards lesser things. The things that the world has to offer but can never satisfy. We believe a lie. Or we just act fool, in foolishness or ignorance. And we redirect it towards these desires that are of the world and, and that are that are lesser, that, that won't satisfy. In, in James 1, 14 through 15, um, it says this uh, right up there on the screen, Seth. Um, 
But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. By his own desire. Then desire, when it is fully has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so we tend to create these our own desires and abandon the desire that God has placed in us, that is created in us. And, and we create these desires, but the need is still the same. We create them, but the need is still there. And I'm just a couple examples. We, we desire money. We desire a job, a career. But really, the need that we're looking for to fulfill is security that only God can fulfill. We, need, we desire um, to be, this is something that many of us can uh, relate to, we desire to be good parents. And so in that, we put a lot of, a lot of pressure on our kids. And, and we, put, um, we, we do these things that we, we desire for our kids to grow up and be, be good kids and, and successful and achieve a lot. But really, and this might hit some chords, but the need that we're trying to fulfill is to, to feel significant. To, to feel significant that I've done something good. But God is the only one that can fulfill that significance inside of you. We desire that trials be taken away from us. God, take this trial away from us. But what we need is peace. And that's, even in trials, only something that God can provide. We desire to please people, and we do things, we overcommit, and we, we do things that are foolish to please other people, but what we need is acceptance, which can only be found in God himself. And so we create these things, and then uh, even in, in Romans 1, 22-25, um, it says this, it says, therefore God gave them up in, their, in the lusts of, the, oh, go back one, Seth, real quick. It said, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so, the question is, are we serving the creator or the creature? Um, are we looking towards other, are we desiring other things, idols in our lives? Or are we desiring God himself? So the first problem is we don't realize that it's our greatest need. The second is we just redirect our desires towards other things that can't fulfill. And the third desire, and this is kind of a kicker, is that we really can never, never, in and of ourselves, attain that which our heart desires most, attain that which we need the most, which is God's presence. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of being in God's presence, which is what we fully need. And that's a problem, because if we... If that's what we need and we can't get there by ourselves, what do we do? We can't do anything, but God did. And the solution to these problems is that God made a way. God made a way for his presence to be with us. God made a way 
that we can have what our hearts desire most. He made a way by sending down his grace in the form of his son, Jesus, so that we can experience his presence. And in that, Jesus lived a perfect life that we could never live. Jesus died the perfect death that we were supposed to die. Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice that we could never offer. And then Jesus conquered death so that we would no longer be enslaved to it and have to live in it. And this is what we need to know is that it's only by and through Jesus that we can experience the very thing that our souls and our hearts desire most. It's only by and through Jesus that we can experience God's presence. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to be in God's presence but through me. John 10, 10 says, I came that you may have life and life to the full, abundant life. Life that you were created for, life that you were designed for. Um, many of you guys know Nick Ewing. We get together every once in a while, and the, the thing he, he often reminds me of and tells me of, and he probably got it for someone else, but um, I'm, I'm going to uh, quote him in this, but he says, the greatest gift of the gospel is God. The greatest gift of the gospel is God himself. That we just, we get God because of the gospel. We get him. We can have him. We can have his presence and that's what we need the most. And so the question is that if, if God has created us with this desire and he himself desires to engage and to be with us also, and he's also made a way for that to happen. How do we experience this life? How do we experience life to the full that Jesus offers, that Jesus says we can have? And why? Why are most of us not living that? Why are most of us not experiencing that life? This is something that, um, as I was preparing for this, I was, I was drawn to this idea, and I wanted to, to preach it, but it, it became, I mean, this was a, a sermon in itself, and this other thing became a sermon in itself, and so and next week, I'm going to be talking about this. I'm going to be talking about how can we experience this, this life, and the desire that we're created for, and, and why are most of us not experiencing it fully? And so next week, we're, we're going to talk about the practicing the presence of God. Like, how do we practice that presence? How do we know that presence? How do we experience that presence day to day on a daily basis? But first, I, th- I figured, you know, we needed to understand our desire for God's presence before we could understand our need to practice it. Uh, because you, don't, you really don't want to practice something that you don't feel like you have a need for. But I wanted to lay the foundation that we have a deep need, you guys. We have a deep need and a deep desire and a deep longing in all of us. We all know it. And I'm naming it. It's God. His presence. And so as the worship band comes up, I just want to give you guys one final thought. 
to ask yourself tonight, to ask yourselves tomorrow, to ask yourselves every day this week to just stop and say, what do I desire most right now? And what is the need that I'm hoping it will fulfill? What am I desiring most right now? Maybe it's the gifts of God. Maybe it's God himself. Maybe it has nothing to do with God. But stop and think about it. What am I desiring most? And what need am I trying to get fulfilled by that desire? Let me pray for us. Lord God, you, um, I'm just blown away by your grace and your character and who you are and that you desire to be with me. Um, God, uh, I just pray that that desire would be, um, would just uh, grow and that you would fan that, that desire into a flame that just wants you and that would be unsatisfied with anything and everything else besides you alone. And I just pray for everyone here too that, that, um, that they would see that desire, that they would see that need, that they would direct that desire toward you and that they would trust in your way, that they would trust in your son, Jesus, to provide a way into, into that presence, God. We thank you for your grace and, and for, your, for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen.